Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper, a series of interviews with financial consultants and industry experts helping financial advisors strategize, market, and grow their business using core fitness values and analogies. Do something today that your future self will thank you for with Get Advisor Fit. Here's your host, Olivia Looper. Welcome back to Get Advisor Fit, where we encourage you to lift heavy, invest often, and market your ass off. Today, we have a special, special, special guest on the show, Andrew McIntosh. Let me tell you how I met Andrew. Andrew made a LinkedIn post one day, I think it was like November, December, maybe even January, where his call to action was to share the post if you liked it. And I thought, I do like this and good for this chap asking, asking for the share. I tell people to do this all the time, but they're too afraid. So let me show them that it works. So what did I, what did I do? My curious little fingers shared and that was it. It's, it's, what do they say? The rest is history. So why do I love Andrew so much now? Well, because Andrew has created a space for people just like me and possibly you as well, called the First Gen Entrepreneurs Community. If you're a business owner, especially one who did not grow up in a household where biz ownership was a thing, or you weren't handed some fully functioning money-making machine by your parents, okay, you know it's like a theme park every day. Major highs, massive lows, self-doubt, costly mistakes, ouch. And the worst part is you don't know what you don't know. And as a startup, who has the money to go pay a real legit business coach to help you in those first few years? Andrew has filled that gap for so many of us by creating a space where we feel less alone, accepted, understood, seen, and heard. Because at the end of the day, isn't that something we all want to feel seen and heard, especially on this crazy ride of entrepreneurship? But because we're also a marketing podcast, we're, of course, going to talk about his first-gen community, but also how he has had the most success marketing this community, his trials and tribulations in doing his own digital marketing, lessons he's learned along the way, and tips he can give you if you, too, are a startup business owner trying to promote yourself. So get ready. We're going into Andrew's world where we explore the entrepreneurial hump learn about his mission, and discover how to leverage the freedoms that business ownership affords. Andrew, thank you for being here and listening to that very long introduction. <laughs> that might be the best introduction I have ever heard. Like, I, I really don't feel like there's anything else to add. You've, you've, you've single-handedly just taken care of everything. Why, thank you. I mean, honestly, this has become a really fun part of the podcast. I only started writing these intros like three or four times episodes ago. And everybody seems so pleased when I'm reading them. I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm really getting into this. I love it. But <laughs> you are like the good. ultimate, you're the ultimate like hype woman. Like Ooh. I feel like a million bucks right now just by being a guest on this podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. I feel like I'm Im imagining all your nerve endings. They're happy now and you are ready to share with us all of the things. That's so. right. I have. Yep. I have tasted the rainbow. I'm ready to rock and roll. This is good. <laughs> oh my gosh. You make me laugh. Okay. So Andrew. Since I didn't get into like your background, your typical, like, this is what I used to do. This is how I got here. 
Tell us about you, your journey, all of the good stuff. All right, cool. So in the beginning, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to try not to not to bore like you the with Bible. All, all the Bible. <laughs> right. Yeah, let's let's, let's go back 6000 years. Um, no, so I'm a, professionally speaking, I am a, a former recovering, recuperating IT guy, actually, by trade. Um, I've been a computer nerd my whole life worked in that industry uh even literally since my my first real quote-unquote job was when i was 14 years old at a computer store so i've been doing this a long long time and i started my own business doing it support in 2006 and i was the first person in my family to start a business so uh, my personal experience was that uh, i did not grow up sitting around the dinner table talking about how to start a business or grow one and I come from a Midwestern blue collar, you know, kind of background where entrepreneurship just wasn't really kind of on our radar. Uh, but that work ethic that comes with that, you know, like as, as a kid in the Midwest in the 90s, like you, you shovel snow, you rake leaves, you uh, mow people's lawns, you're a paper boy, you do all these things that taught me some of the basics of entrepreneurship long before I knew what the word entrepreneurship even meant, right? So in 2006, I started my business, um, made a bunch of mistakes, like really, really bad mistakes that I look back on and just shake my head and think, what was I thinking? But I didn't know what I didn't know, right? Like, right. how else are you going to do this? So uh, fortunately for me, I was uh, able to just kind of no fatal mistakes. And we kept growing organically. We'd get to the point where I had too much work and then I hired someone. Got to the point where both of us had too much work and I hired someone and just kind of kept doing this slowly but surely. And then 15 years later, I wound up selling the company. So uh, it was a long, slow process, but it turned into what I would call a, a legitimate business. It was nothing huge. It was $2 million a year. We had 13 employees, uh, but it's legit, right? Which Way I think legit. for me, yeah, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm proud of it. I, it, you know, it was a good thing. We had a good thing. Should so be. yeah, go ahead. No, you should be, you should be proud. That's amazing. I mean, I only hope to follow in those footsteps. Well, you know, what's funny though, is like, um, Around 2017, 2018, I joined this uh, group. I'll, I, I won't name them, but it was a group of CEOs where I was the little fish, okay, okay. In, the, in the room. And it kind of blew my mind uh, just how much money some of these people were making. Like what I thought I was killing it until I got in there. And it was like, oh, my goodness, this dude makes more in a month than I sold my company for like it's just stupid right but i think that that's just it when you're a first-gen entrepreneur we all kind of have these preconceived notions on like what is a quote unquote a lot of money <laughs> and until right. you start rubbing shoulders with other people you, you know you have no nothing to compare it to so yeah that's that was, i would agree with that yeah like for me when i got out of college i thought sixty thousand dollars a year was just like I'm going to be set for life if I can make 60 grand a year. And you can't tell me that when you grow up with a number like that in your head, that that doesn't have an effect on 
the types of risks you take or the expectations you have for yourself or the way you think about entrepreneurship and, and how to make money, right? Like those are limiting right. beliefs that you don't even know you have. Honestly, okay, so revenue numbers aside, when I first started in this business, it was my mother-in-law, she came to me and she said, what are you going to do? You know, I had just had a baby, just finished my master's degree. She's like, uh, I taught high school for a little bit, but everybody knows I wasn't going to go back to that because nobody can live on $3,000 a month. I'm sorry. It's just not possible. So <laughs> not today, <laughs> not today, son. So, um, she was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I'll probably get back into copywriting. And she's like, oh, check out the financial advisor space and all that stuff. So fast forward, like I first started writing blogs. Then it like got a website and it got a logo and, you know, did all the things that you do and you're going to start a business. And like, um, I remember thinking like two years in, like, whoa, like, look at all this happening. And like, all I have is a laptop. Like, how did I do this? This is right. insane. You know, like I just thought I would start writing blogs for financial advisors while my baby took a nap. And then all of a sudden it's supporting our entire family. And my husband left his job and, and, and it's interesting because what you're saying, um, you don't, you bring your own, like, I don't know, money scripts or preconceived notions about like how much is a lot of money or like, and like if you don't grow up around people who are building businesses, you have no idea how businesses are made. I'm no, I'm no clue that you could just make money sitting at your house on your computer. It's wild, isn't it? <laughs> Blew my mind. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Well, like to me, I, I always equate it to the four minute mile. So this is this, you know, fits the the advisor fit podcast. Oh, yeah. People for decades said that to run a four minute mile was impossible. But then as soon as one person did it, guess what happened? A bunch of people Lots started. People did it. Yeah. So why is that? That just goes to show the power of knowing that something is possible then enables you to go get it. So. When you're the first person in your family to start a business, you don't know what's possible, right? You haven't seen your your parents or your grandparents or whoever kind of blaze that trail and build a successful business and enlighten you as to all the things that that can do. And so folks like you and I, I had the same experience. I, I remember one year when my accountant came in, I hadn't really been paying any attention to what we were making. I just kind of had my head down doing my thing. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, okay, this is actually turning into something. <laughs> this is cool. I had no idea that was possible. So crazy. And, but I think, so it's interesting. Also, you said something that I had to write down when you were saying it and it said, well, okay. So I, there was too much work for me. So I hired somebody else. And then there was too much work for both of us. So we hired somebody else. And I think what's really interesting about coming at building a business from somebody who has no idea how to build a business or what the fuck they're doing is that you just kind of do what feels right for a long time. Like you're just in a place where you're like, I know that this is too much for me, so I need help. So you find help. And for me, that was finding 1099 contractors. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that has been, and this is a segue, but one of the things that has been scaring me about hiring another employee, because my, as everybody knows, my single employee is technically my husband, but I mean, that doesn't really count. Both the money goes to our household. So, hmm. and 
so one of the things that has been scaring me is like the whole virtual thing, right? So like where you're your first employees, they were like in house with you or were they also, were they virtual? No, they were in house, but you have to keep in mind, this is like my first employee I think was 2008. So okay. it was a very different time, uh, right. you know, back in the olden days. We weren't zooming around all over. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, by the time I sold the company, we had remote employees. I think it was, uh, in COVID, this is actually kind of wild. Uh, in COVID we hired a couple of guys. So we're based in Kentucky. Uh, I had hired three guys who were based out of Missouri of all places. It was total coincidence. They didn't know each other, but we kind of started leaning into this idea of like, hold on a second. Most of what we do can be done remotely. And if I'm strictly looking in my local market for employees, I'm now competing for with my competitors, not just for customers, but for employees too. And there's only so many people in that local market that are good at, at uh, good candidates for what you need. But then suddenly if I can cast a much, much wider net and say this, these folks can be anywhere in the country or even just the Eastern time zone. It's like, suddenly I've got way more options than I used to have. And you can find someone who's a better fit. And sure enough, uh, one guy in particular that we hired, he was phenomenal. I mean, he just like suddenly raised the specter of everybody else that was working uh, on our support team. And it was like, okay, boys, this is how it's done now. You know, he, he came in. So I've never, even to this day, have physically met this, this person um, wow. and still remember the impact that he made. So yeah, eventually we started to lean into that and, and see it as a whole new way of, of doing business. I think also it probably helps that you're in IT, right? So like, let's just be honest. It does. Um, I, I'm not a very technically in inclined individual. As you saw, it took us 15 minutes to <laughs> figure out how to get Zencast. I wasn't going to bring it up. I wasn't going to say anything <laughs> about it. But, you know, so I, I know that you can record training. I mean, I've literally been record. I've, I've been trained for in-house marketing employees that we've replaced mm -hmm. through video remotely. And it was totally fine. I know you can do it. <laughs> I've been on the receiving end. I don't know. It just terrifies me. And I think it's because I um, have these roadblocks in my mind about technology. And oh, I'm not good at that. So I just like avoid it or like find someone else who can do it. But if well, you're training someone for your own business, there's not really anybody else to hand it to. I mean, I've got to right. do it. Well, I think that's a two-edged sword. Um, and you can either let it cut you or you can let it help you here. Because if you had someone physically, uh, you know, you had an office space or whatever, and they physically came in the office every day, it's true. Like you're going to be able to train them on, on all these other kind of things. But you know what will happen, though, is you're a lot less likely to properly sit down and document SOPs yep. and properly take the time to build out these because they can just cheat. Anytime they got a question, they can just walk in your office and be like, hey, Liv, how do you do X, Y, Z? Right. Yeah. So that digital thing, it creates more work for you up front. Like it's a bigger challenge up front to do this, but you're actually you're forced kind of into doing it the proper way which is now going to be a lot more scalable long-term. Yeah, totally. I totally get that. I'm with you on that. And even like with David and I, 
you know, for our podcasting process, for example, like, so before we used to be in the same room with our desks and it was, we would just talk, Hey, question, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. and now I'm across the house. So the talking is a little bit less, you know, and I'm like, man, we really do need to put process in place for the podcast. So we've been working on that and like onboarding. So we onboarded some new clients this year and I'm like, this could really be better. So I see, you know, that we've been leaning on the cheat cheat method, which is like, we're both here, but now that we're getting to a place also that we're considering bringing on another employee, we need those SOPs in place for sure. And I write a lot for also business coaches who coach financial advisors. And I mean, I would say if there was any space that I learned about this stuff before meeting you in a, in a very little bit, it was from writing about stuff like this for the business coaches who serve financial advisors, but still, still difficult. So I have a, a, a bodybuilding analogy for you. Yes. I'm going <laughs> to get to these later, but let's do it now. All right. Tell so is it true or false? Um, having good form is critical when you are lifting weights, right? You're wasting your time if you don't have good form. You might You're as well wasting go your time. Yeah. So here's the thing. You can cheat. You can get on that that machine or you can, especially with free weights, and you can get on that bench and start arching your back and throwing, swinging stuff around, and you can <laughs> technically push more weight than maybe you could if you had proper form. But we both know the end result there is you're much more likely to risk getting injured and you're not actually building the muscles the way they need to be built. Um, it's better to have good form, even if it's a lower weight and takes longer because that's going to produce results for you. Right. And so that's kind of like the difference between, yeah, there's little cheats you can make when you're, when you're right there in person and you, they learn through osmosis by just being with you, but that's not as good as, as actually documenting your processes and, 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 uh, delegating those out. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And it's interesting you say that because as a bodybuilder, we train for aesthetics, not necessarily strength, but you have to use progressive overload, do more reps or more weight in order to stimulate muscles in for growth, hypertrophy. So we always make fun of power lifters saying power lifters try to lift the most amount of weight the easiest way possible. Right. And bodybuilders try to lift the least amount of weight in the most difficult way possible. That's funny. Cause yeah. Because we're actually trying to grow our muscles, not just win a prize or something and then go eat three large pizzas in a box of donuts. Right. That's funny. I never, <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I, I like that analogy. I like that a lot. So, all right. We, we've already talked about a lot of stuff, but let me get to your questions because I think that um, some of these are really good. We talked a lot, a little bit already about a first-gen entrepreneur. What, you know, you don't grow up with parents who are building a business. It's challenging because you don't know what you don't know. It can be lonely. You know, you're always second-guessing yourself. So how did you come up with this concept? Did we talk about that already, the origin story for this community? No, yeah. um, We hadn't gotten into that yet. And it's funny, I kind of fell into it to be honest with you. Um, so after I sold my company, I worked for the one that bought mine for about 14 months just to kind of help with the transition. And during that time is when I started posting on LinkedIn for the first time. 
and I, I really didn't have like some big master plan. I just am a believer in networking in general, being open-minded about meeting new people, how you can help them and then just see what happens from there. Right. Yeah. So I, I started meeting a lot of new people on LinkedIn, uh, just having virtual coffees and kept explaining over and over again that I was the first person in my family to start a business. Ah, okay. And for some reason that just was, was one of the main points of my story. And I don't know why subconsciously that was just always, you know, front and center for me. But then one day I created a post and I, I coined this, this term first gen entrepreneur. That day I had like three DMS where people said, Hey, I've never heard it put that way before, but I'm a first gen entrepreneur. And then instantly you realize we've got a lot in common. Like I know exactly how you feel right now. If you're the first one in your family to start a business. Right. And so then st I started having conversations with people, realizing how much I've got in common with all of them. And then reflecting on my own journey where I hired a business coach, but it, I couldn't afford that guy until I had already been in business for like six years. Yeah. Uh, he was, I think a thousand dollars a month. That was a decade ago. And that was his discounted rate. Like it, it ticked up as, as my business grew, his, his fee grew and it was wonderful. I loved it. I would absolutely recommend people have a business coach. Like it was great, but I couldn't help but think, man, what if I had had access to that kind of support from day one? Like my first five years wouldn't have been nearly as painful and slow as, and, and as much of a grind as they were, if I had just had a little bit of mentorship and, and support and advice. Right. Right. So when I'm hearing all these other people self-identifying as first in entrepreneurs and that they're having the same exact pains that I had had 15 years prior, it's like, man, if I could build out a model that gives folks this, this type of support that they so badly need, but do it at a price point, that's a fraction of, of the business coach. I'm not trying to compete with business coaches. I'm trying to enable you to grow to the point where you can afford the coach. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where that, where that idea came from. Yeah. I've never heard that story. That's so you, you did kind of fall into it. It wasn't Which like is, some big master plan. You're like, wow. And you know what? They always say that need, you know, breeds innovation or ingenuity or whatever it is. Like you're like, Oh snap. Like here's a pain point And I'm really good with computers. So guess what? I could just build this whole community. Right. <laughs> so one time I had a guy, he was part of that CEO group that I was telling you about. And I was describing my story to him of my IT company and how when I started it, I did not have plans for world domination. In fact, I didn't have like really a plan at all. I'm just kind of doing my thing, right? Yeah. See, being reactive there you go with the doing your thing again. Okay. We yeah. need to come back to this again, but you yeah. continue. so, um, he, he said, uh, he goes, you know, your story, cause by this point I had already hit, you know, kind of a measure of like, this, it's a successful business at that point. And he goes, your story is kind of like Forrest Gump. And I was like, thank you. I think it's what I, I don't yeah. know how to take that at the moment. Could you yeah. elaborate, please? <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure if I should be honored, flattered, or offended. He goes, no. no but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what I mean by that is like, you you know, Forrest Gump, he didn't, he didn't 
you know, have a, a big master plan on like what he's going to do in life. But then he's just kind of bumping along doing his thing. And then all these good things just happen to him over the course of his, his life. And I was like, all right, well then I guess I'll take that, you know, but, but that is kind of my path. Like I, I, I don't have huge ambitions to take over the world. I don't have, uh, or, or didn't have even clarity on like what's possible in terms of how you can grow a business. Um, just doing my thing, right? You just keep kind of keep your head down and do good by others. And, and it tends to, to grow on its own. And so that's kind of where I'm at with this community, you know, and the irony is not lost on me that I've never built a community before and I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm just kind of building this airplane while flying this airplane and we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, you know, I really like this because as you know, when I joined your community like six months ago, I think it's been now, Mm -hmm. I told you I'm about to go into a period of life where I'm really working on my business. I had spent two years just chasing my pro card. I literally was like, as long as my business has a pulse and I can pay my bills so I can go bodybuild. Right, right, right. right. (laughs) I was like, current, keep current clients, keep current clients happy, give them the best service we can possibly give them. I did zero marketing for two years. We still signed a couple new clients who came from referral and stuff like that, but I was in no way out looking for new business. And same kind of thing, you know, when I was first starting up. Anyway, so I joined the community because I told you I'm going to this phase where I'm really going to focus on working on my business and building my business into like a real business, um, not just like something that generates revenue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I wanted to be in, I wanted to learn from other people. Well, let's just say I got way more more than I bargained for. And I'm not just telling you this so that you consider joining the community. It's very great. Um, Lots of benefits, but it can be, it can also be very overwhelming at times because you realize when you start interacting with other people, like you said, rubbing shoulders with people who are a little bit further along than you, but also, you know, there's the other side, of course, rubbing shoulders with people who aren't as far along with you. There's benefits to both sides, but um, I was like, dang, like on the one hand, I feel pretty good because I've gotten here with like no, I've gotten to where I am with no anything, literally just doing what felt right. Like I need help. So I'm going to go find people to help me or, you know, I'm having this problem. So I'm going to solve it. Just kind of like bumping along, doing my thing. And I think there's something to be said about that because we it can be easy to get overwhelmed with like, read this book, take this course. And like we see, and this is something that you put in our um, pre-show notes, all of these people on the internet selling super fast, accelerated fixes and 10x your business. And you can feel like, oh my God, I'm behind. Mm-hmm. Like I'm so behind. What am I doing wrong? And like, it can be very easy to get overwhelmed and lost in all of the noise. And I think that you have to like find your own like boundaries, like where you're like, okay, I know that I need this really good information here, but I'm also going to like listen to my intuition and my gut because it's gotten me this far. So like it comes to like melding those two things together in a really good way that works for you. Because if you just get stuck in the information you can just analysis paralysis. On the other hand, if you just get stuck in your intuition, you don't end up with any 
SOPs, (laughs) you know, or anything that kind of takes your business to the next level. So, you know, being, being in a community where you can be exposed to people who are ahead of you, people who are maybe um, not as far as long as you can be really beneficial for helping you keep perspective. Do you find that too? Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, I had a post on LinkedIn earlier this week that that kind of went viral a little bit because it was it was poking fun at all of the 10x, you know, growth gurus and the aggressive sales systems and the the Justin Welshes and all this other kind of stuff. Um because there's so much of that out there and I equate it to it's kind of like on social media and and uh, the the unhealthy beauty standards that are set for for young that children. is such a good analogy that yeah. is spot on yeah and it's 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 designed in my opinion maybe i'm a little cynical i don't know but it's it it feels like it's designed to make you feel less than right to it make you feel absolutely like absolutely is Yes, sorry. I interrupted you. I didn't interrupt. No, but. no. But see, that's that's the it, that's why this thing was so popular, because it, it resonates with a lot of people who feel the same way. And to me, um, you know, when you're you start making comparisons, uh, it, this is just the business version of social media where people it, it's no coincidence when you see someone taking a selfie and, you know, here I am trying to be authentic, but there's there's some big gorgeous house in the background or you know I'm from inside my nice car or whatever like there's this underlying hey if you buy my system you can be like me too right and i hate totally. that stuff like hate it um whereas when you're inside a community you know it's true this is a this is a paid gated community right but the people who are there, they've already paid to get there. And now you're inside this safe space where there is no, you know, thumping of the chest. There is no bragging about where we are. There's still a comparison, but it's a healthy comparison. Yeah, it's- it is. Totally. You want to help people who are, you might be, you know, who are trying to get where you are. But at the same time, you're like, I want to be where they are. And they, you know, it's we're all just in a, in it's so such um, wholesome intentions in the community, which is what I really like. You're right. Exactly. And, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, rubbing shoulders to people that are a step or two ahead of you. That has obvious benefits, right? Because they can kind of illuminate the path ahead of you. But there's also benefits of having people a step or two behind you because now they're looking to you for advice and you're giving it. But you know what happens when you give advice to people? You often are saying the very things that you need to apply for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And it kind of, uh, J- Jacob and I were talking about this when I, we had our, our call recently is like, we ended up talking for over an hour. It was like scheduled for 15 minutes. And I was like, I'm sorry, man. And he was like, no, I love this because it helps me process my thoughts and kind of, you know, because your thoughts live in your head, but until you really put them out there, they they're not really manifested in any way. So it can be so beneficial to like, oh, crap, this is what I did. Maybe I should do that again. Or I know this is the right thing to do. I'm not actually doing it myself. I should really right. get my shit together. And here's the other thing, too. You know, we we generally use expressions like that. Oh, this person's a step or two ahead of me. But it's it's not actually that simple. 
you know, running a business has all these different facets to it. So they might be a step or two ahead of you in terms of, you know, their financial maturity, but they might be a step or two behind you when it comes to marketing. Right. Right. So everybody's got these different skills and different backgrounds and different perspectives. And so you just kind of benefit by being, you know, running in a pack of people here who all understand your challenges and everybody's got these different nooks and crannies they can help you fill in based on their experience. Absolutely. So now that we're kind of in the marketing path, I want to ask you about your experience in marketing the community, because I know it's something that we've talked about on calls within the community and like, oh, I'm working on my landing page or, hey, I'm putting this kind of funnel in place. So where want two questions and you can answer them in whatever order you want. Where have you had the most success in marketing community? And what kind of lessons have you been learning along the way that you feel like you would be helpful to other people doing the same? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because in my background in IT, I'm a techie guy by nature, right? So that lends itself to me in the, in the digital marketing space in terms of understanding like the mechanics and how to make things work. But from a marketing perspective, I'm a complete noob. Like I have no idea, you know, I, six months ago, I didn't even know, you know, the terms landing page and lead magnet and cost per click and all this, this is all totally Greek to me. Yeah. Um, so it's like where on the one hand, I feel like I have some advantages on the other hand, I feel like I'm big time, you know, catching up and, and learning all of this stuff. So up to this point, Almost exclusively, all the members of the community are are people who I've connected with on LinkedIn. Okay. And so eventually, that's going to be something I want to expand on uh, and, and have other avenues of getting in front of people um, and, and kind of wrapping my mind around this idea that, you know, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. I've, I've, solidly believe that. But then the question becomes, well, how do you get people to know, like, and trust you at scale? Yes. So far, what I've done is get people to know, like, and trust me. But after they've spent, you know, an hour with me on Zoom and get to know me as a person, which is totally fine uh, and is necessary at early stages like I'm in. But, you know, if I think we're at 60 paid members of the community right now, that represents like 60 one hour minimum conversations that I've had with people. Yeah. And so it will get to a point where like that in itself is not sustainable. So, uh, you know, the other part that I found with LinkedIn is I've been at it now for, uh, I think it was like February of last year. So 14 months or so 16 months. Yeah. Um, and it's like that consistency that's required you know, to, to be able to show up and, and post regularly to be interesting, informative, entertaining, to engage with people who, who comment on your stuff to, to give back, right. You also want to comment and, and engage the people who support you. You should be supporting them too. 100% for sure. And then responding to people's DMS and then setting up virtual coffees and then having conversations and then following up. And then, Oh, by the way, you also have a job to do in actually building the community, right? Right. So 
one of the things that I've learned so far is even though I've really kind of, uh, you know, gotten a lot of good results from LinkedIn, which is just one channel, it's shocking how much time it takes to cultivate that and to build any kind of momentum and, and really kind of get it down pat. So like this whole social media thing, I think is worth doing. Um, but it's, it just takes a, a tremendous amount of time. And so I'm starting to now get into some other things. Like I've got a newsletter, but that one's tricky too. I kind of dread every week. Like, oh, here we go. Now I got to write a newsletter. Like it feels like one more piece of content it that is. I got to come up with. And it's <laughs> 50 other things I've already done on LinkedIn. Um, being a guest on other people's podcasts, namely. Yes. In this case, that's pretty cool. But something that I'm. But again, yeah, um, time consuming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. But you're planting seeds though, right? right? Like this podcast that we're recording today, someone could listen to this five years from now and be like, wow, that's really cool. It's first gen community. I like that idea. You know, like that's pretty cool to think about as, as a long-term play, but then the, the one-on-one networking is more of a short-term play. And then I think that there's this, this middle space where, you know, people are subscribed to your newsletter, um, you know, and other, I don't know, kind of methods where you just kind of keep your hooks in them and, and you stay top of mind a little bit because what's the statistic? It's like out of your total addressable market, of people who could be a good candidate, only 3% of them are actually in the market to like buy something right now. Does that sound right? Yeah, it sounds about right to me. I don't know the exact statistic, but I'm, I, I mean, and you would think on the first glance, 3% really, that seems really, really low, but you have to consider what, like, what is it you're selling and how many, how often is it that person is going to feel like the urge or inclination to buy. Right. What in like how how often are they going to feel that problem enough to fight to have the inclination to buy? And then it makes more sense. And I think too that you need to really understand the psychology behind why someone wants to buy whatever it is that you're selling, because that is going to vary quite a bit depending on what it is that you're selling. So like for me, at this point in time, I'm not selling like a, um, some quantifiable result. Like, Hey, come join this community and you will grow your business by X percent in 12 months or something like that. Like there's none of that in its current form. What I'm selling really is the way it makes you feel. Yeah. Which which is not quantifiable. It's valuable, but it's not something you can measure in numbers. Right. And so that will, kind of dictate what my marketing plan looks like and how I get in front of people and how I approach all of this, because it's, you know, I might have this big market, but whether that 3% thing is true or not really is going to depend on how someone's feeling that day. And if they feel kind of a longing for, man, I I need to find my people who can help me kind of get through the, the tough times and then celebrate the good times and all that kind of stuff. Right. So whereas someone who, is selling something that's more transactional. Uh, you know, like you mentioned Jacob earlier, he does email marketing. Well, that's, that's one of those things. It's like, okay, if I invest this and I can get this as a return 
and I feel confident that I can do it, well, then it's just a question of, well, at what stage can I afford this service? And that's yeah. how you, that's now where you're fishing and, and who you're trying to get their attention. So it just, I think it, it's no two companies are going to be exactly alike in terms of their approach. Uh, but this is all stuff that I'm, I'm slowly kind of wrapping my mind around and, uh, you know, getting more comfortable with, with time, but it's, it's a ton of work. <laughs> okay. So I want to point out two things that are really interesting to me that about what you just said. One is I'm selling how it makes you feel. Well, advisors, just so you know, especially because you can't go out and use performance results as part of your marketing because you are bound by SEC regulations, you are also selling how this product makes people feel. And I think that that for a long time has been a very, has been why financial advisors are terrible at marketing. And it's because they want to talk about all of the tiny little things that they do instead of the outcome of how all those tiny little things that they do can literally change someone's freaking life. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, before I started working in this industry and I'm just going to give my own little personal ditty or whatever, you can do what you want with it. But, um, grew up extremely privileged. Let's put it that way. Nobody was building any businesses. Nobody had to, <laughs> um, but also grew up in a very high spend household where, um, affection was shown through buying people things. You dealt with your emotions by buying things. You had fun by buying things. Yes. Um, where was I going with that? Um, so, oh, so I just historically terrible with money. Got into the financial services space. First of all, I was more, I was terrified because I was like, first of all, I'm terrible with money. Second of all, I hate math. What the hell? This seems like a terrible idea, but you know, whatever, I'm going to try it. Turned out being totally fine because what you write about in financial advisor marketing is not all that technical crap. It's, this is the technical crap we do. Yeah, great. But the result of that is you can buy that vacation home that you want. Your son is not going to have to worry about how he pays for college or start his career in $60,000 worth of student loan debt. Your, uh, if you want to pay for your granddaughter's wedding, $100,000 wedding, you know, you can um, because you've taken the time to work with a financial advisor and put all these ducks in a row, blah, blah, blah. So you're selling those outcomes. You're selling the way that people feel. Now, you, the second thing that's interesting about this is that you um, are a person, and I only know this because of a workshop that we did in the community, folks, where one of our sales specialists unlocked our code about our selling code, about how we like how we make basically purchasing decisions. Well, how we make any decisions. Andrew is a very, oh, they call whatever his, his primary position was like blueprint. So Andrew's very, um, organized attention to detail. How would you describe it? Because I'm the complete opposite of you. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, I, I think you and I are on opposite ends of the, of the spectrum there. You were more of the emotion emotive base basically right whereas right. more on the logical side so andrew and it was i i smiled when you said well my business doesn't have any quantifiable result that i can say hey join our community and <laughs> you can grow your business by this percent or whatever 
Well, right. you can't because you, that's just not what the community is about, first of all. But it's really interesting that you feel like your marketing is lacking because you don't have that piece. Right. When, but for stuff like to me, because I'm the opposite, I'm very emotion based. I don't even care if I have the money in my bank account. If I want to, if, if I think this is going to help me solve my problem, I'm going to find a way to pay for it. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting because there's definitely two, two schools of thought. What this guy that um, is building a landing page for me, that was his question. So this is, he's a, he's a male, right? And he's, we're going through this interview process where he's asking me a thousand questions to just kind of extract all the information out of my brain to build a really compelling landing page, which side note, that's part of the long term. Well, the fact that he's doing that, first of all, is great. It means you're using a good provider. You don't want to be working like unless you actually write copy, sales copy yourself. You need that piece. So I'm glad that he's helping me with that. Yeah. Yeah. He's 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 good. I'm excited about what he's going to do. And we hit it off because he's a first gen entrepreneur who uh, he's pretty far along in his business, but when we met and I explained the whole thing, he's like, oh my goodness, dude, I wish I had met you and that this was a thing when I was mm-hmm. starting off, right? So I think he meant it, but if he didn't, it was like the best one-liner to land me as a client. If that's what you, if you want me to be your client, you just say words like that to me and I'm like, all right, yeah, where do I Baby's sign here? Baby's words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will buy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but there's this section in his interview process. He's like, all right, well, so what results have you driven for your clients? And I'm like, well, well, I don't have any, like not numbers, not like that, you know, cause that's what he was asking. And so we go back and look at the testimonials and every single one of them is I feel supported. I no longer feel alone. I, you know, I feel so optimistic about my business now that I've got you know, the, the help that I need. And it it was all about the emotion. And so it was funny because all of a sudden I was feeling like, oh no, I don't have anything concrete to like give people like that in terms of numbers and metrics and performance and all this other kind of stuff. But then when I I bounced that off of one of the other members, um, (laughs) the other day, and she was like, you, you don't need to change anything. The fact that you make people feel that way is in itself the value. Like don't abandon that in hopes of finding some, you know, cause then, then you become that the 10 X guys that we make fun of. Right. Like maybe I okay. don't make empty promises, but it's still kind of the same underlying thing. Yeah. Okay. So. Wow. So, so many ideas right here. First of all, Okay, we are not going to no more. You are not allowed anymore to undermine your results because they are feelings. Because let me tell you something. How we feel impacts our decision making process. And that's something that we talk about a lot in financial advisor marketing because the market goes down. People go, oh, no, I'm losing my money. I got to sell everything and move to cash. So I don't move any, lose any more. They, they get very um, risk averse, very protective, and they want to make quite possibly the worst mistake they could possibly make because of compounding and return, you know, things like that. Long, it's time in the market, not timing the market, blah, blah, blah. So how you, with how you feel dictates the decisions you make 
if you feel empowered and you feel confident and you feel supported, you're going to be able to make better decisions for your business. And that is going to what that's going to be that catalyst that helps you stay in it when you feel like you're not going to make it or you're, you know, I don't, I don't know, throwing the pillow across the room and then going and crying in a closet because I can't believe that this happened or I'm such a fraud or it's those feelings and it's that space. And I know recently, like somebody shared a very vulnerable post about like some negative feelings that she was having in her life. And she was able to go to this space and seek support for those feelings and to help her get through something that she didn't feel like she could get through at the time. And so if you're selling a feeling that makes us feel like we can do it. Yes, we can that you can't put a price tag on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. And it's interesting. You mentioned to confidence that that's something that I'm honing in on more recently, because I think that that, if you were to pick one thing, that's probably what separates a first gen from a second gen is yeah. confidence. Because that's a good point. A, yeah, a second gen who has has seen how it's done, has been given advice growing up. It, the the whole path has been illuminated to even be told what's possible and here's how this works and and all that kind of stuff gives you this this supreme confidence because you know it, it's the four minute mile thing all over again. I'm now confident that it can be done, and look what happens, right? But when you're a first-gen entrepreneur, where is that confidence going to come from, right? Exactly. I mean, and some some might start a business with some self-confidence because that's maybe their personality, but it's not going to take long before that gets knocked down a peg because this stuff's difficult, right? And so looking back on it, you know, that post that you're referring to, but then I've seen other ones too where it takes confidence to raise your prices, Right. But guess what? When you can turn to this group and you ask and you say, hey, here's what I'm charging for this. You know, am I am I I had one of our earliest ones said, I think I'm charging too much because I'm not getting enough response. And overwhelmingly, everybody in we there said, said, no, you're not charging enough. You're not charging enough. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I remember by, that. Yeah. yeah. And by not charging enough, she's she was attracting the wrong type of client who's just going to haggle her even further. And that is a death spiral where she was mm. headed, right? That's like upwork shit. Yeah. Is <laughs> race, race to the bottom, just, just death spiral. But instead our, it, it wasn't just one person. It was like six people who came in and are like, girl, you ain't charging enough. Gave her the confidence to go back and, and raise her prices, which now actually attracts the right type of person. Cause if you undervalue yourself, they're going to think they're not very good at this, right? But you're a right. price is a premium thing. And all of a sudden, well, she must be doing something, right? It changes the psychology, right? That confidence is the thing. It takes confidence to fire your bad clients, right? If you've got A, B, C, and D clients, you need to cut those Ds or convert them to A's and B's like yesterday, but you know what? It takes confidence to do something like that. And where else are you going to get it if you're the only person in your family or among your f circle of friends who who run a business? 
Right. So, and I I think also what's interesting, I've never thought about it until this conversation, but like I never felt like disadvantaged. Like, oh, well, I started a business and I never had anybody around to help me. Like, so what? Whatever. Like, I'm a badass bitch. I get what I want. <laughs> That's basically how I feel. But and so like, far, I, see, I have proven that to be the case. So well, thank you. <laughs> um I, I said, oh, I, I don't know if I've ever said this on air, but I think, you know, my dream is to write a memoir or multiple memoirs. And I think that one of them will be called like B plus at life. Like I'm almost the best at almost everything I try. When I'm, <laughs> like if I try really hard, I can be like almost the best at almost everything. But <laughs> I like that. that it, I would need that. I'm serious. I've been rich and colorful life and people are like, how do you how do you just go from one thing to the next and like do good at it? I'm like, I don't know. I think it's because I'm a little bit crazy and a little bit obsessed. But but anyway, so I never felt disadvantaged as a business owner or anything like that. So but so your your values were, you know, what appealed to me was being around other people who are going to keep me motivated and inspired and all this stuff. Um, But. As I've grown my business with my husband as my partner or whatever, he's very much a very safe person and I'm very much a risk taker. And so like I have not necessarily felt like I've gotten, I had pushback when I was starting, but now that I have someone who's in this journey with me and who is invested in the way that, well, how much money I bring in is going to directly affect our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I get back from him like, you know, I'll tell him like, well, I want to get to the place where, you know, I'm just talking to, you know, I'm getting the new clients in and then handing them to my team who's going to take great, great care of them while I remain the face of the business and generate revenue. He's like, well, Liv, that's what everybody wants. And I was like, well, maybe, but does that mean, and this is kind of the four minute mile thing again, right? Like, to him, he doesn't see you guys and he doesn't see my people and he doesn't see other people doing these things. So to him, he's like, that's a pipe dream. That doesn't happen. Like people don't that people don't live that life. Like work is hard. Running a business is hard. Like it's supposed to be hard all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but I want my hard to be different. And I'm like, and if I don't try, I'll definitely never get there. So what am I just supposed to just sit here and be happy with where I'm at and settled with where I'm at. And one time I got, I used to send like most of my emails to most of my clients too, because they're on different plans. And sometimes my sales emails would be about something that is an upper level from what they have. Well, one of my clients wrote back and said, I really don't like receiving these emails. It doesn't give me much confidence. And I just, I could never stop thinking about it. Like it doesn't give you confidence that I'm trying to do better and be better and provide a better service. Like that I'm trying to grow my business as a business owner. How can you not respect that? I had to come to understand that it was probably some other crap happening with him and he just took it out on me. But you do get pushback. Even if, even if I didn't feel disadvantaged as a business owner, first time gen or whatever, you do get pushback from other people in your life and you need support from other people who are going through the same thing. And I think that value, like I said, 
I mean, I'm going to say it again at, at the risk of being cheesy. You cannot put a price tag on that. Priceless. I'm joking. <laughs> what did you say? I said priceless. It was like priceless. the MasterCard commercials. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you should make a little meme like that. Yeah. The cost well, so, of first gen. Ever many yeah. dollars with that now, you know? Oh, I'm 100% going to do that now. Uh, okay, cool. I'm going to, let's just we'll put the world on notice here. I'm going to find one of those old MasterCard commercials. I'm going to inject first gen right in the middle of it, right before it's <laughs> priceless. And I'm putting that on a post. That's a good one. Yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. I can't wait. So, you know, back to um, your point though, I'm going to, I'm going to tie this into fitness again. So, yes. you know, the four, the four minute mile thing, that's about what's what's possible. Right. Right. But then let's use gyms as, as, um, an analogy to how, who you associate with affects your outlook on things. Right. So, uh, think about the difference between some small little podunk town and you go to the one gym that they have there and there's, you know, just a, a handful of people that are trying to get into shape but it's a small population and there's not a lot of go-getters and you walk in there and you're relatively fit and you're, you're a big fish in a little pond, aren't you? Right. Mm -hmm. But now go to some big city, maybe one that has a culture of bodybuilding and walk in there and you're the same person. Like Columbus, Ohio, where they have the Arnold or something. Yeah. Yeah. Powerhouse gym or something over there. Yeah. And now how are you going to start looking at your accomplishments? You're no longer a big fish in a little pond. It's, it's the opposite, but guess what? for the right personality, that is positive peer pressure. You walk in there and you go, holy cow, look at what these people can do. I need to try a little bit harder or I need to just watch what he's doing and, and learn from it. And in my experience, most of the biggest, meanest looking people in there are actually some of the friendliest and most willing to help and most passionate about what they do and share and their knowledge and education. Well, that's true of entrepreneurs too. Yeah. Right. The people who are like, this has been awesome. I'm on the right side of the entrepreneurial hump. I've got this lifestyle that I enjoy. I've got this freedom of time and choice. I'd be more than happy to take a few minutes out of my day because guess what? I'm not on a crazy treadmill anymore and help you however I can. That's that's how it works. Dude, you're so right. I mean, and so there, first of all, you want to be around people that are in both stages, ahead of you, behind you, whatever. I went through this personally when I switched gyms um, and I go to Revive where there are like top Olympians prepping for the Olympia, which for those of you that don't know is like the Super Bowl of bodybuilding, like doesn't get any higher than that. You win, you're literally the best in the world. Um, And when I started training there, of course, I was intimidated. Um, I was a new bodybuilder. I was still pretty small. Um, But I'll tell you what, you get the kick in the ass you need to like, I'm not the big fish in the little pond anymore. I'm putting myself in this little pond so I can grow. And I don't think, you know, and, and also when you get there, you're right. Some of the nasty. So it's funny because my daughter used to work at the gym for a little bit and people would be like, oh my gosh, that's your mom. She's so scary. And my daughter was like, nah, she's really not scary at all. (laughs) Like, and then other people will be like, yeah, just go talk to her. Like, she's really nice. She's really friendly. She's probably one of the nicest people in here. And I'm like, that is so funny to me because 
I don't really pay attention. I just go in and do my thing, my music and, you know, and, um, but it is the people like we like talking about, it. we like to share, we like to help. I mean, of course, I won't go out of my way to like say something to somebody because people get really like, I don't want to feel like you're doing that right. wrong. You know, like right. I'll wait for someone to approach me. But yeah, yeah. I mean. So I'm going to tell you a totally unrelated story that I just think you'll get a kick out of. This has nothing to do with entrepreneurship. Okay. But, uh, I have a cousin who is from Hawaii. And he's into bodybuilding. And uh, I don't think he's he's quite to your level, like in a professional sense, but for, for an amateur, he's he's up there. Okay. Okay, cool. And he's a very good influence on me. Uh, every time he comes over, he like kicks my butt. He's just like, Andrew, you're fat, you're lazy. It's time to get it in here. Come on, let's do this. Right. But he, he says it in such a, he's just got this like charm about him. Like you can never be mad at this guy. Right. Aww. So he, he shows up this long flight travel from, from Hawaii, like he's on three hours of sleep or whatever. And you would think first order businesses, let me get in and go to bed for a little bit. Nope. First order nope. business, Andrew, come on, we're going to vitamin oh, shop. Sure. We got to, we got to load up on some protein powder, all this stuff. Right. So <laughs> when you, when you go to vitamin shop, I don't know if you have those down in Florida, but yeah, we do. Uh, so when you, whenever you buy something, they put it on a plastic bag and they'll slide their own little magazine in there. Okay. Uh, that you take home. So it's like this bodybuilding magazine. And so we get home and I'm flipping through this magazine, looking at pictures of all these just enormous dudes. And they're like huge and veiny and all, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> and I said, see, like, I don't personally, I don't ever want to look that way. Like the, the yeah, yeah. with the veins everywhere. I don't, I don't, I don't ever want to be like that. He goes, you know, Andrew, I don't think you need to worry about that too much. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, he didn't. He goes, how about, how about if you're headed that way, then we'll start to dial it back. But until <laughs> then I wouldn't lose any sleep. <laughs> it's your, dude. It's, okay. So in our, in our world, there's all these memes about girls who are like, I don't want to, I don't want to lift weights because I don't want to get bulky. And they were like, that is literally insulting to all of us over here who are eating six meals a day, training six days a week for years, trying to grow. And you think if you touch one 10 pound Barbie weight that you're going right. to be bulky. Right. Like, you know how hard it is to get to that point? Like, yeah, so you're not at any hard. of becoming that overnight on accident. Don't worry about it. <laughs> But, but oh I will never God, forget. He's like, funny. I wouldn't worry about that too much. <laughs> oh my gosh. We don't need to meet this guy. He's hilarious. I can tell. Oh, him. I love him to death. Yeah. He's, you can he's invite a- him to the first gen uh, retreat that we have coming yeah. that we're making you do. <laughs> yeah. I think you guys would hit it off. Yeah. We need to, we need to get to planning that too. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do, but we got to do something. All right, good. Well, we'll talk about that off air. But Andrew, this has been remarkable. I think that now I need to go do some training on how to better incorporate the fitness stuff into my podcast. You know, it's funny because I wanted to bring my two passions together in marketing, which is something I talk about a lot, like bring yourself into your marketing, share yourself. And it was a great move. It's I don't regret it at all. But the guy who used to post do post-production on my podcast was like, you know, you should really try to actually talk about the fitness principles more. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I it's don't know. All- I just, I get so into our conversation. So thank you for actually bringing it back in. You give me something to work towards always, of course. 
Yeah, no, that's positive peer pressure, man. That's what it's all about. So, you know, that's how we see, this is how we become better. We, we, we are around other people doing great things. So why don't you tell our listeners how they can find you? Of course, we're going to include all of the links, you know, to his landing page um, in the show notes. But in case you're listening along, here's where you can find Andrew. Yeah, so uh, the biggest thing really is is my website, firstgen.biz. So that's the number one, S-T-G-E-N.biz. Okay, perfect. And Andrew, like he said, is very active on LinkedIn. He's going to, his his meme about the gym went viral on Monday. There was something like, how many? I th- It's over 600,000 impressions and like 4,500 reactions so far. So it's yeah, so. He definitely has some content that people are vibing with. You're going to want to get on that train. Um, Again, thank you, Andrew, for being here. This is amazing. And if you guys want to join us, you know where to find us. Thanks so much for having me, Olivia. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Okay, go ahead. I was just going to say that to be um, creating new content from scratch all the time is exhausting. Like, and it, it's not, it's not really sustainable long-term, I think. And before too long, it will shift from being this thing that you're excited to do because you can draw, you know, new attention to this thing that you have to do. And then once it becomes that, then it's just a matter of time before you burn out and you give up. Uh, and so one of the things that I'm trying to wrap my mind around and, and create a game plan for is and I think this is not new. This is fairly common in the marketing world, but this idea of kind of creating high quality pillar content, you know, like here's the the thing or the two or three things that I am about. But let me invest time in making that really high quality and only doing maybe one or two or three of those a year, but then do it in such a way that I can spin off of that to create my social posts, to create my little short video clips, to share it, etc. And so that's one of the things that <clears throat> I think is going to help me to kick it into more of a high gear and a long-term thing. Oh, is good. By allocating, you know, what limited resources I have until such a time that I can afford to just, you know, hand it off to someone like you. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally get why business owners, I mean, I was there with my IT company, but it was like when you have enough revenue to support it, the idea of being able to just outsource your marketing department and know that that's just kind of being done for you, all the heavy lifting is being done for you so that you can now just focus on, let me just go meet with the the folks that, you know, come into my web as a result of their marketing efforts. And now it's on me to, it's still on me to close the deal. Right. But that's, one less thing to focus on. Uh, and it just takes an enormous amount of time and effort to, to market correctly. And I'm learning that lesson, the, you know, first. It really, it really, really is. And so it's in, so two things about that is the first one is you asked me on a call that we had sometime in the past m- month or two, I think it was when we were talking about coaching and stuff. And you said, what are you better at? Are you better? Sorry, you better at marketing or are you better at doing the work? And I was like, definitely better at marketing because we were talking about like what kind of employee I was going to hire next. Mm-hmm. And and I thought I'll never 
like want anybody else to do my marketing. Well, first of all, that's not really true because half of the posts that I make are made by somebody who works for me. And the second part of that is what you're saying. Yes, I love creating new content. Yes, I love sharing it. Yes, I love talking to people about it, but it is a burnout waiting to happen no matter how much you like it. And so part of the reason that I wanted to meet with you and get my Notion database set up is so that I actually can do something that that day I never thought I would do, which is hand more of it over to her so that, yes, I'm still creating the new, but it's going to be on a lot less frequency because I've already got this database built up, which essentially is what we do for our clients. In the very beginning, I ask them about a bazillion questions. Every single person in the firm has to fill out a bio questionnaire, which my husband jokes and says looks like a psych evaluation because it's that detailed. Mm. But how else am I supposed to get to know these people well enough to market them as people having never met them before is the same idea. So I get all this information from them and slowly as our engagement, you know, continues over time, our library of, of content gets larger and larger and larger. Um, and we're able to, you know, ultimately it reduces your marketing costs over the long term because you're creating less and just putting it to work more. Um, and as a business owner, you can like go on vacation or you can go do whatever you need to do and you'll still have content, you know, your marketing machine is still working. Mm-hmm. If you are the sole catalyst for your marketing machine, you can't do that forever. You have to when you're bootstrapping it in the beginning. But once you get, like you said, to a point, you you have to consider how can I do this at scale so that, hey, I have a job I have to do. And the thing about that, I'm glad that we, we hop back on this recording real quick because there's two things. There's, there's one thing about that that I found unequivocally true and I don't care who you are I will die on the hill about this thought your heart is in a completely different place when you're marketing your business than when you're doing the work to deliver to your clients I even personally have to split up the days that I spend working on lexicon and the days that I spend working on other people stuff because my heart is just not in the same place and it's very hard to shift gears to go from promotion, outreach, awareness, all of that good stuff to, okay, I have to do the work that I've been contracted to do. Um, so yeah, you get, you get to a place where you just have to hand it off. And then somebody like me keeps your flywheel going. I mean, of course, like, especially if you do video or podcasting, you're going to be giving new input, but it's up to us to to stretch it and make it, you know. Yeah, that's an interesting point that your heart is in two different places. Uh, I think you're right. And I don't know if this is the best analogy or not, but it kind of makes me think of like, you know, when you're dating and you're you're meeting new people and you're you're looking for your your soulmate, right? Uh, that's a different mode than once you found the one <laughs> and now you're, you know, you're get you're going to get married or whatever. Imagine if you found that one and you're spending time with him or her and then you're simultaneously still out there dating. 
<laughs> it's like, well, hold yeah. on. That doesn't it's, make sense. It's really hard to like to have your heart in both places at the same time, which I think is why a lot of times I talk to multi-advisor firms about like who wants to be the rainmaker, who wants to be the baby kisser, who wants to be the face, because it's completely fine if that's not you. Mm-hmm. And for many of those folks, I say, probably not a good idea to open your own business. Probably mm-hmm. not a good idea to start your own advisory firm. Probably better to go work under somebody else, under somebody else's umbrella where the business is generating leads and bringing those opportunities in and you're doing the job that you really want to do, which is financial advising. But there are plenty of people I know in financial advising that would be happy if they didn't have to do any advising. They just want to go meet people and bring them in, you know? And I think you can be a successful entrepreneur on either side of that equation. You just need to know which one it is that you want to do and outsource the other one, find a good partner for the other one as soon as you can. And to me, I think if you're a solopreneur, you know, the first you're, you're, you're wearing all the hats. There is no escaping that. And it's going to be that way for a little bit, right? Until you can get your revenue up. But like, there's going to be some things like your legal and your financial foundations, super important to outsource those like day one, because if you do that incorrectly, you're building on a bad foundation and this is just not going to go well for you. So like, go, go get those folks lined up first. But then once you're past that point, now it's up to you uh, to go market yourself to sell once you've met with someone and then to deliver service. Well, I think that as soon as your revenue is to a point where you can get that marketing flywheel handed off to someone, then what that does is it enables you now to focus instead on just selling, not marketing. So that's like the next logical step. And then these leads are coming in and you're doing a good job of selling it. Now your next challenge becomes delivery and scaling your operations. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is it winds up becoming this cyclical thing where you're, you've got all these spinning plates and as one gets a little more mature, then you focus on this, this category and then that gets more mature and then you focus on this one and you wind up circling back and coming around again. But it's that cycle is what's gradually, you know, ticking your business up and taking you to the next level. Um, but the sooner you can get off of that treadmill of being the the one person who does all of it and just let the let the pros handle it, that's what makes this suddenly a sustainable thing, because otherwise you're you'll just burn out trying to do it all yourself. Right. I agree. And, you know, but it was funny because that day that you asked me, I was like, no, I would never I'm do I do the marketing for Lexicon. I make the money for Lexicon. Like it's like, mm. but The truth of the matter is that I can still be the face of Lexicon without actually doing the implementation of the marketing, which is something that was highly debated back in 2018 when I first started in this industry. But now I think it's pretty widely accepted that, yes, you can still have personalized marketing when someone else is handling it for you. You just have to pick the right person to do it because there are plenty of services out there that are just going to give you that generic bullshit like – you can go to FMG, you can go to Snappy Crack, and you can pay $100 to $500 a month then get a content library full of shit, the same recycled shit that they're receiving from everybody else. But 
and, and advisors are like, well, how can somebody capture me? How, well, it's possible. And I think that, you know, people see that now in the, in the space. And so that's well, good. Yeah. I mean, you can also, you can go to Walmart and buy a suit if you want to. Right. But we all know that's not going to be the same as a custom suit. And so some people might go, well, I can't afford a custom suit and that's fine. Yeah. There's certain financial realities that you're not there yet, but guess what? If you want to be sharp and put together, or do you want to be sloppy and it's clear that you bought a cheap suit? Like it's going to, it's going to really kind of dictate the types of clients that you attract. And like a cheap suit, you might be able to get away with it for a little while, but it's not going to last very long. It's not sustainable. So, you know, I don't judge anybody who takes like a lower cost option on something when they're starting. Not at all. Not no judgment. Right. But it's only going to get you so far and you're fooling yourself if you think that you can cheap out on something and it be a good long term solution. Like that's just not how this works. Um, So anyway, yeah. Yeah. So people have asked me too, like, oh, well, do you do your clients leave you? And I was like, no, typically they don't, but they have outgrown me and I'm happy for them. That's a success. You know? That's a win. Yeah. Right that's a yeah. success to me that they got to a place where an in-house marketing team was necessary. It was in the budget. And that means that I helped them go from someone who could barely afford a few thousand dollars a month to somebody who's probably shelling out at least half a million dollars for a marketing team a year. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's a win to me. Yeah, I think that that's that's a win, and that just that's that shows a certain la- or um, amount of maturity and experience to see it that way. Um, you know, if you if you truly are invested in your client's success, then that's how you would react to that situation. And but that also means that you're going to be a good vendor. Uh, you're going to be a good partner. They are going to sing your praises from the rooftops because they're going to see it that way too, that you, you help them get to where they are. So this is, you know, that's just what goes around comes around. Thanks for listening to get advisor fit with Olivia Looper to learn more about Olivia and how her firm Lexicon content development can help you visit lexiconcontentdevelopment.com. If you want to reach out to Olivia on LinkedIn, you can find her at Olivia Looper Lexicon. And if you'd like to follow Olivia on Instagram, you can find her at Lexicon Content Development. Till next time.